Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Amen, amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles this morning to John chapter number 11, starting with verse number 1. John chapter 11 and verse number 1. Amen. Once again, thank you for allowing me to be here today. Amen. It reads this, now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, he abode two days still in the same place where he was. He stayed two days still in the same place where he was. With the help of the Lord this morning, let's preach on the subject, when you can't find God, when you can't find God, amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's good to see you in church today, and you may be seated. The story from which we are taking our passage today is only recorded in the Gospel of John. The other Gospels do not paint this picture and this portion of the life of Jesus. It is right before the Pharisees begin their plot to kill Jesus and right after he has told his disciples and followers that They should know that the Father is in me and I in him. Essentially reaffirming to them again the revelation that there are not three in the Godhead, but that he was God manifest in the flesh. Amen. I was privileged to be able to sit in on the Bible lesson partway this morning, and I so enjoyed it because I'm so thankful I know who I'm serving. I'm not serving some triune figurehead up there who has three distinct persons in three distinct thrones. No, John said, I saw one sitting on the throne, and that is Jesus. Amen. And in him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Amen. I'm glad I know who I serve today. And Jesus is telling them this, and they're angry at him because of him reaffirming to them that he was the great I am. And he escapes their grasp and they want to kill him, but he somehow disappears. And the next thing we read in the book of John is the beginning of the story of Lazarus. And the setting for this story is in Bethany where his dear friends Mary and Martha and Lazarus live. 
Jesus frequented this house because the Bible says he loved them. It was Mary who had anointed the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. And we read about Jesus coming to this house before when he had rebuked Martha and he told her that you worry too much. And Mary, you found the good part. How many want to find the good part this morning? And I guess if you've been rebuked by Jesus and he still loves coming to your house, then he really must like you. And he did. He had a special relationship with them. So much so that when Lazarus falls ill, Mary and Martha send word to Jesus telling him, Lazarus, the one you love, is sick. And Jesus receives this word and immediately speaks a powerful word of faith. And he says, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. Praise God. Don't you love when God speaks something and says it's going to be all right? Amen. And you get all excited. You've been waiting for that word and that confirmation. And that word finally comes. And Jesus said, it's going to be all right. Pastor said it's going to be all right, and I know my help is on the way. It's going to be okay. Jesus gave me the word I've been waiting for. But then, when Jesus hears that he's sick, and after he speaks this powerful word of faith, he does something opposite of what we would expect. The Bible doesn't say that he rushed to Bethany. Bible doesn't say that he dropped everything he was doing and said, let's go, disciples. He didn't get into a rush and go to where the problem and the issue was. But instead, after he has received the news, the Bible says he speaks a powerful word of faith and abides two days in the same place. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. Lazarus, your friend, the one you love, is deathly sick, and you just said this sickness isn't for death. You just said it's going to be all right, but it's for the glory of God. And now you're sitting here playing checkers with the disciples and just abiding. He didn't rush to Bethany and perform a miracle. He didn't make it a priority to get to where the issue was. He simply stays where he is and abides there for two days. He stays. He doesn't move. But his priority at that moment was just to abide. And sometimes abiding may not seem like a needed or a desired priority, especially when it seems like everything's going wrong, especially when it seems like the world is going crazy, especially when it seems like everything around us is just absolutely insane. And we're asking ourselves the question, where are you, God? Where is God? God, 
In Matthew 13, 24, Jesus begins to tell the parable of the wheat and the tare. The man had sown good seed in his field, but when he slept, the enemy came in and began to sow weeds among the wheat, so that when the wheat came up, so did the weeds. And the servant comes to him and he asks the master, do you want us to go and pull the weeds out of the field? And the master tells the servant, no, leave it alone, because if you go and pull the weeds up right now, you're going to go and pull the wheat out of the field. And the master says, don't touch it. When harvest time comes, then you go pull the weeds up and then you pull the wheat up and you go burn the weeds, but you put the wheat over in my barn. But if you go pull everything up now, you're going to mess the whole harvest up. So leave it alone and abide. And at the end, there's going to be a harvest. But if you pull everything up now, you're going to mess it all up. And as people, our flesh often wants to rush in and fix the issue and do it our way instead of standing still and knowing he is God. And that's where we get into trouble and mess everything up most of the time. Because most of the time, our priorities are not his priorities. And his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And Jesus is saying, wait, but your flesh is saying, go. Jesus is saying, hold on a minute, but your flesh is saying, no, 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 no. I got to get to where the issue is and I've got to fix it. One of the hardest things the children of Israel had to do in the Old Testament was march around the city of Jericho every day without shooting an arrow, without saying a word, without throwing a spear, but their orders were just to march. You go and you march around the city. You don't say a word. Don't do anything. And they're thinking to themselves, okay, we finally crossed over into the promised land, the land that God has told us we're going to have. We've been going in circles for 40 years. But God said, we're crossing over the land that's flowing with milk and honey, the land in which we're going to have houses we didn't build, wells we didn't dig, vineyards we didn't plant. We're finally going to where God says, this is our inheritance. And we come across the river after we see the priests step over and the waters recede and we finally get to the first obstacle in the way and we're going to conquer it because Jericho is between us and our miracle and God is saying now, just march? Wait a minute, aren't we supposed to be fighting? Aren't we supposed to be conquering? Aren't we supposed to be winning? And God is teaching them here, no. In order to conquer your adversary, you first got to conquer yourself or else you're going to wind up doing something crazy. The battle at Jericho is more about defeating the Israelites' ego than it was conquering the city. And God is teaching them that if you're going to conquer the promised land, you're going to do it my way. You think it ought to happen this way. You think your miracle ought to come this way. You think everything that should take place in your life ought to happen on your timetables. But God is saying, no, 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 you're going to do this my way. And the battle is going to be fought my way. I had the opportunity to go to France a few years ago and I found out that when you're in France, they're in, they're in Paris, 
You don't eat like you do here in the United States. You go in there, you eat, you sit down, and it's like a two-hour process. You, you don't do it what you do here, just go through Taco Bell and get 10 tacos and eat five on the way home and the other five when you get home, and that's dinner. It's not that way there, and that's, that's, that's our way of life over here, but I got there, and you sit down at a table for dinner, and there you just be, they bring you water 10 minutes later, and 20 minutes later, they bring you the appetizer. 20 minutes, 30 minutes later, they bring you the main course. 30 minutes later, they bring you dessert. 30 minutes later, you're paying for your meal and you're getting, it's every meal is that way I found out there. And and typically I'm a recluse by nature and I I don't really like to talk a whole lot. I'm more of a listener. And so I'm just sitting there thinking, oh my word, I've got to talk to this person for two hours. I'm single. For me to talk to you for two hours, you got to be really pretty or you got to be really anointed. So I, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, oh my word, what am I going to say here for two hours? And I just had to learn to sit there and talk to somebody for that amount of time. I'm not used to that. You just had to sit there and abide through the whole meal. And I'm thinking, dear Jesus, you're trying to teach me patience is a virtue here because I'm not used to this. I'm not used to just sitting here and abiding abiding. I'm not, I'm not used to it, but when Jesus hears Lazarus is sick, abiding is a priority at that moment. And meanwhile, back in Bethany, everybody's saying, where is God? Where is God? Didn't he know that his friend is sick? Didn't he know that we're going through everything we're going through here? Doesn't he see where we are? Doesn't he see what's happening? Can't he see our trial here? And God is simply abiding. We've got to remember that with God, nothing just happens. Nothing just happens, but rather all things, everybody say all things, are working together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. The phrase work together that Paul is using here means to come together when it's about his purpose. And we've got to remember that he's forming us and he's molding us. But oftentimes because of our impatience, We get our priorities mixed up and we try to get to Bethany in the middle of the molding process. We want to control everything. We want to do everything when perhaps the Lord is just wanting us to abide so at the end of the day, he alone can get the glory for everything we're going through when we're asking the question, where is God? There will be a resurrection at the end of the day. But the only way a resurrection can take place by definition is something first has to die. How can God intervene and fix the issue if we keep trying to resurrect it? The reality is we sometimes refuse to let things die that are supposed to die. All because our human nature is to try and control things. We fear the unknown and we get our priorities mixed up and we try to keep things alive that are supposed to pass on. We try to keep relationships alive. We try to keep ambitions alive. We try to keep dreams alive. When God is saying, let it 
die. And this leaves us worn out, tired, emotionally frustrated, trying to breathe life into bones that only the Spirit can resurrect. And God is nowhere to be found. And He's not answering. And we think that because we don't have an immediate answer from God, that automatically gives us the right to go out and build a golden calf. And in times of distraction, when God is hidden on the mountain, don't try and substitute his silence. Guard your spirit. Guard your worship. Guard your words. Sometimes God not answering is God answering. Because, hear me, if God were to answer every one of your prayers right away, your faith would never be built to the place where it can be effective and you would be weak and you would be spiritually anemic. But the reality is God loves you enough to stay silent so you can discover who you were meant to be and you can grow in understanding and you can grow in wisdom. Thank God he loved me enough to stay silent when I thought he should answer answer. Thank God he loves me enough to just stay where he is and do things on his timetable when I thought he should come when I needed him. I can always tell when somebody's about to make a shipwreck because they'll start making directions, quick decisions that make absolutely no sense in the middle of a trial. And Pastor Cordell, I begin to think, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. You're in a waiting game right now. Don't do it. You don't understand why you're where you are. God is molding you. He's forming you. Please don't do something crazy. And they do it and they find them where they don't want to be because they couldn't find God and they decided they wanted to step ahead of God. Jesus' priority wasn't to get to where Lazarus was to save the day. His priority was just to abide and let Lazarus die because he knew a resurrection was coming. Until some things die in our lives and we allow our priorities to line up with his priorities, he can never do a completed work. You're saying to yourself, I don't know why it happened. I don't know why they left. I don't know why the job didn't come through. I don't know why the house hasn't happened yet. I don't know why this, 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 and that, and that, and that. And you're saying, oh, maybe if I just do this, it'll fix it. Maybe if I just pour myself in here, it'll fix it. Maybe if I go back to them one more time, It'll help me fix all of this. Hey, let me give somebody a word today. Stop trying to control things you don't understand and trying to resurrect things that only God can bring back to life in his own time. Sometimes you just got to learn to abide. There's got to come a point where you say, okay, God, I'm placing this in your hands and I'm releasing total control of it because I trust you. Have questions about your life, trust and abide. Wondering what your future is, trust and abide. Asking why are some things taking place, trust and abide. Timing is everything with God. Timing is everything with God. But what are you doing in the meantime? Time passes and Jesus finally tells his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Now, 
His disciples listen to him say that and they think to themselves, wait, he's crazy. And they begin to argue with God. Don't you remember the last time you went to Judea and you told them that you were the uh, fullness of the Godhead bodily and they wanted to stone you and kill you? Don't you remember that, Jesus? The disciples think he's crazy for wanting to go back. And they ask him, well, why would you want to go back there? Don't, don't you remember what happened? Don't you remember what took place? Why would you want to go back to where they're, they're, they're trying to kill you? And we were all there. Remember, you pulled that whole disappearing magic act and you just walked out and we were left standing there and we had to run but you were nowhere to don't you remember what happened last time we were there and they think Jesus is crazy for wanting to go back to where everybody wants to kill him and they, he tells why would you want to go back there and he looks at them and says because Lazarus is dead and the disciples think that they're going to die by going with him. And there's only one disciple out of everybody. I love preaching on this. There's only one disciple out of all the disciples that says, hey, if he's going to die, we're going to go with him. If he's going to go, we're going to go and die with him. I don't know what y'all are going to do, but I'm going where he's going. We know him by one moment when he doubted, doubting Thomas. One moment when everything else is defined by that moment in his life. Everybody forgets about the time when everybody else was doubting and Thomas was the only one who had faith that said, let's go, Jesus. I'm going to die with you if you're going to die. I'm your man. I'm going to be loyal to you. He should have been called faithful Thomas and not doubting Thomas because then everybody else was doubting. Thomas was the only one who was faithful. And, and, and Jesus tells them, we're going to go. And they go. And they go back to Bethany, about two miles from Jerusalem. And they find that Lazarus has already been dead for four days. Four days. And Martha, Martha runs out of the house. And she comes to Jesus. And she sees him coming and she says, if you would have been here, my brother would still be alive. If you would have been here when I called you, my brother would still be living. If you would have come when I'd have asked you to come, Lazarus would still be breathing today. If you would have answered when I asked you to answer, where were you, God, when I needed you? And Jesus looks at her and says, your brother will rise again. And she thinks he's talking about the final resurrection when all the dead in Christ arise on that final day and everybody comes and they begin to rise up out of the grave and they go to meet Jesus and they, they finally, the day has come where I'm looking forward to heaven. How many are looking forward to heaven? I'm looking forward to that day when I get to walk on streets of gold. She thinks he's talking about when Jesus comes back in the clouds and all the dead in Christ drive, all the grave arise, all the graves open up and the seas give up all the dead that are in them. And she thinks he's talking about that day, but but to but to everybody else, no, 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 no. Jesus is saying, you don't understand what I'm saying here, Martha. He says, hang on a second. I am the resurrection. And I am the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet 
shall he live? And he asks Mary and Martha, where have you laid him? And they take him to the tomb in the cave of Lazarus. And Jesus begins to weep. He begins to weep because of the lack of faith in his friends. He begins to weep because his friend is dead. Jesus wept. And he begins to cry and he begins to tell them, take the stone away. He tells them, you do what you can so I can step in and do what you can't. And the reason we don't see more miracles and more supernatural breakthroughs and more filled with the Holy Ghost is because we like to push it off on God and say, God, if that's what you want to do, you'll just do it. If you want to really pour out your spirit on off, you'll just do it. If you really want to, you don't really need me. No, when our partnership with God has to be our faith and his glory mixed, when our faith can attach to his supernatural ability, that's when God says, I can do something that'll absolutely blow your mind. I can come in and begin to work things you never thought I could work. When our faith begins to mix with his glory, that's when God says, all right, now I'm going to begin to do something that you never thought I could do. And what we have to do is get in the posture of just simply asking him, bare minimum, at least ask to do something and God is saying you know what if you'll do what you can I'll step in and do what you can't come on and we at least have to get in that place where we ask God and we begin to pray oh God I want to see your glory I want to see miracles I want to see and God is saying hey do what you can do so that I can step in and do what you can't and if we want to see more miracles, we want to see more breakthroughs, we're going to have to get in that posture where we're saying, okay, God, I'm going to exercise my faith. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to fast more. I'm going to seek after you more. I'm so desperate for a move of God. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And that's when God wakes up and pays attention and says, okay, they're doing something now. Watch me step in and do something they they can't do. How many need a miracle this morning? How many need God to do something today? Hey, he's waiting on our faith just to be shaken a little bit. He's waiting on us just to get up and say, okay, I'm going to attach my faith with God. I'm going to partner with him so he can step in and do what I cannot. Take the stone away. And Martha... Martha runs up to him and she begins, Martha was like the modern day Karen. And she runs up to the Lord again and I can see the Lord just somewhat rolling his eyes. Oh, here comes Martha again. Karen, Martha. And she said, but, but God, he stinks. He's been dead four days. Don't you know by now he smells? The body's decomposed. Everything's rotting. He stinks. And Jesus just kind of looks at her and says, step to the side, please, Martha, and just go stand over there. And they take the stone away. And Jesus cries out, Lazarus, come 
forth. I believe all of hell heard him that day. I believe all of heaven heard him that day. When he said, Lazarus, come forth, the Bible says he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. And now Lazarus is living again because God and God alone has wrought a miracle. But why did he wait four days? The people in that day believed that the soul remained with the body for three days after death. Even the pagans believed that the gods could not revive somebody who had been dead for more than three days. So by abiding and waiting until his timetable, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Jesus was demonstrating the power of his miracle. He was showing everybody that he was the resurrection and that he was the life. And when he says something lives, something's got to live. And when he says something breathes, something's got to breathe. And when he says something comes forth, something's got to come forth. Let me tell somebody this morning, I don't care how long you think your dream has been dead. I don't care how long you think that word has not come to pass and it's never going to come to pass. No, 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 no. When God says something lives, something's got to live. And if you've ever received a word from the Lord, you can bank on it. It will come to pass because his word will not return void. And if God said it, he means it. So in the meantime, while you're waiting on God, don't you dare quit praying. Don't you dare quit believing. Don't you dare quit fasting. But you get in that place and say, I may not have seen my miracle yet, but I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop praising. I'm not going to stop shouting. I'm not going to stop dancing. I'm not going to... Oh, no, no, no. If he said it, it will happen. He was showing everybody that he was the resurrection and he was the life. Let me give a word to this church. There is a fourth day coming for the church. Right now it seems like we can't find God. And we're asking, where are you, God? Don't you see everything that's happening down here? Don't you see our world is falling apart? Don't you see everybody's going crazy? Don't you see we don't know what we're doing? It seems like we can't find you. But the corridor, I haven't heard anybody be able to articulately tell where God is right now. Every prophet I've heard has been wrong. Everybody I've heard try to say where God was has been wrong. I don't know where God is right now. It seems like he's on Mars somewhere a million miles away. And you're thinking, is he ever going to show up? Is he ever going to come? Is he ever going to let this thing come to an end? I don't know, but I do know this. There is is a fourth day coming for the church. I don't know when it is. I can't tell you when he's going to show up. But let me tell you this morning on the fourth day, we're going to baptize more people than we've ever baptized. We're going to pray more people through than we've ever prayed through. We're going to see more signs and miracles and wonders than we've ever seen before. Hey, I'm excited about the fourth day today. 
I'm excited about the fourth day. While I can't find God, I'm still going to be faithful. I'm still going to serve him. I'm still going to... Hey, we ought to get excited because there's a fourth day coming. Don't you be weary in well-doing. But church, this is the time for you to live for God harder than you've ever lived for Him. To fast more than you've ever fasted. To pray more than you've ever prayed. Not because I've seen Him do everything, but because I know there's a fourth day coming for the church. I wish you would clap your hands this morning. I wish you would lift your voice this morning. Come on, don't quit worshiping. There's a fourth day coming. Don't you quit praising. There's a fourth day coming. Oh. We ought to get excited. There is no greater day for the church than this day. There is no greater day for the oneness apostolic Pentecostals than this day. Because amongst all the craziness, people are going to be looking for an answer. They're going to be looking for a solution. And we've got the solution. His name is Jesus. And he can heal your body. He can save your family. He can heal your soul. He can mend the broken heart. Jesus can do anything. Let me give a word to a wayward parent in here who's waiting for your child to come back to God. Don't you quit praying. There's a fourth day coming. Don't you quit fasting for that relative. There's a fourth day coming when they're going to walk through those back doors and they're going to find themselves at an altar lifting up their hands and saying, Oh, God, forgive me. Feel me. Touch me. There is a fourth day coming for the church. I can't find God. Doesn't matter. My faith is not whether I see him or not. My faith is built on the fact that in the right time, God's going to show up. And he's going to say, this is why I waited. This is why you haven't seen your prayers answered yet. This is why. It's just so I could get some glory may not make sense to you the unjust glory of a jealous God but I'm telling you today in the meantime don't quit serving God a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn and the fourth day is beginning to dawn Stand with me if you would this morning. Musicians, you can come. But I'm so thankful there's a fourth day coming. And while I may not be able to understand everything God is doing, I do understand he's working all things together for my good. I can't see him. But even when I can't see him, like the song says, he's working. 
Even when I can't feel him, he's working. Oh, he never stops, never stops working. I'm intrigued by Luke, the second chapter, because it begins to tell the story of Jesus and his parents going to Jerusalem. Every year they would go at the feast of Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went to Jerusalem, was the custom of the feast. And the Bible says when they had done what they were supposed to do, they began to pack up their things and they began to make the journey home. And Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. He stayed where he was. And they left without him. About halfway through the journey, Mary looks at Joseph and Joseph looks at Mary and says, have you seen God? And Mary looks at Joseph and says, no, I, I thought you knew where he was. And Joseph looks at Mary, I thought you knew where he was. And everybody begins to ask the question, where is Jesus? Where is God? Maybe he's with that wagon over there. Maybe he's over playing with John and with some of the family over, over, over the, let's go check and they go and check. No, we can't find him there. No, he's not there. Maybe he's over with them over there and that one. No, he's not with them either. Where is God? And they can't find him. And they turn back and they begin to travel back to Jerusalem. The Bible says seeking him, looking for him, trying to find him. Where's he at? He's not there. He's not there. I, I, I don't know where he's at. But the Bible says they get back to Jerusalem and it came to pass in verse number 46 in Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass that after three days, everybody say three days. After three days, what comes after three days? The fourth day. They find him. They find God on the fourth day. Where's he at? Sitting in the temple. Doctors are listening to him. Lawyers are listening to him. They're asking him questions. Oh, they're astounded by what he's saying. And Mary and Martin Joseph and they come up and they say, son, where you been? Don't you know what this did to us? We lost, how do you lose God? Where have you been? We've been looking everywhere for you. We've tried to find you. You caused us so much panic. We thought we would never know where you were going to be. The Bible says that Jesus looks at them and says, even though you've been sorrowful, how did you seek me? Don't you know that I was about my father's business? I'm just doing what I've always done. I'm just going about my father's business. While you couldn't find me, I was just doing what I was supposed to be doing. I was where I was supposed to be. 
I was doing everything that I said I was going to do. And let me tell somebody this morning, when you can't find God and you're questioning, God, where are you? I need you right now. I've got to have you right now more than I've ever needed you before. When you're saying, where is God? Let me tell you where he is. He's about his father's business, working all things together for your good. But there is coming a fourth day when you are going to find him and you're going to realize, oh, that's why I had to wait so long. That's why he never came through when I thought he should have come through. That's why. Thank God I didn't quit, Pastor Cordell. Thank God I didn't stop praying. Oh, thank God. I still came to church and I was faithful because now on the fourth day, it makes sense. Every hand lifted in this house this morning. Every voice raised right now. Come on. I've come to encourage a saint of God today and remind you, don't you dare give up. Don't you dare be weary in well-doing. Don't you dare stop serving Him. It may not make sense right Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.